It is unlike any other YouTube channel ever. Because when we started the channel, when we clicked it exists button, it got 60, pushing 70,000 subscribers in the first month. But we hadn't released a single episode yet. It was just the, the explosive, like it just became a thing, right? Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Geek Peak. Today I'm talking with Carmichael David, who is the Dungeon Master for Fables D20. That is a YouTube channel where a lot of amazing stories happen in various campaigns, uh, all happening in the same world. So we talked, uh, I loved David's stories, uh, he has a lot of amazing things to share, and we got some fan questions in there too, so I think you'll enjoy this one. So without further ado, enjoy the interview. Carmichael David, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. I am so excited to talk to you. I have watched some of what Fables D20 have to offer, and uh, I have a lot of questions about the production, about the channel. But first, let's begin with you. Uh, I want to ask you about your past. Uh, I know from, from watching some of the videos on the channel itself, uh, that you started as a player on Fables D20, and then you mm -hmm. transitioned later to uh, becoming a DM. But yes. let's go even before that. Uh, what can you tell me about David Carmichael before Fables D20? <sighs> well, uh, I was born in Germany, uh, grew up in Minnesota, and studied filmmaking in Florida, New York City, theater in upstate New York, and then filmmaking in Los Angeles. Um, that's pretty much the broad stroke. <laughs> um, I then started working at Corridor Digital, uh, a VFX YouTube channel, and I ran their vlogging series releasing a video every other day for, oh man, I want to say four years straight. Uh, it started with two minute videos, but by six months in, it became 10 to 20 minute videos. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> uh, I eventually left to kind of pursue my own passions, both just filmmaking wise and i wanted to start up fables i started fables with a bunch of my friends and uh then lockdown happened <laughs> uh in the process of doing fables with my friends uh my friend Jarrett, who dm'd fables of refuge he was dming that while also dming home games and he was getting really exhausted. So during lockdown, I stepped up to become a DM uh, in our home games. And then when lockdown finally ended, eventually I stepped in to be a DM as well and a player. Um, so that's the broad stroke leading into fables. Uh, so I would say before Fables, I've been just making videos nonstop. <laughs> uh, 
uh, in the pursuit of just wanting to be a filmmaker and tell stories. And while working at Corridor Digital, I grew my skills in Photoshop, video editing, shooting, and learning other aspects of storytelling that is less selfish than when you typically want to start becoming a filmmaker. That's amazing. Uh, Saying you have this background in filmmaking makes so much sense uh, given the questions that I have prepared later. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So, you know what? Let's dive into it a bit. Like in terms of filmmaking, um, is that like a, a passion of yours in terms of like creating a repertoire of of videos or is there like uh, a specific thing you want to do as a filmmaker uh what's the passion so my passion for filmmaking started i i think it's the first movie i ever saw i was maybe three pushing four years old uh i forget the the actual name of this movie but it's a werewolf movie that my dad Re- regretted making my first movie. <laughs> wasn't it the Werewolf in London? No, it wasn't Werewolf in London. Uh, it was this B horror movie where this expedition went to a rainforest that's not named in any way. So it's the New World, and they get attacked by a werewolf. And then he, this guy who survived came home and he lived in the backyard of his sister. And there's this transition scene during the full moon where the nephew follows him into the woods and he's like, what's wrong? And he turns like half demonic (laughs) and I cried. I was so terrified. And and my dad had to pause the movie. It was on VHS and he had to break it down. What's actually happening? Like, he had to destroy the fourth wall and tell me what is a movie, break it all down. Ever since, I've been obsessed with what's happening on screens. Um, often, I will watch a behind the scenes more or before a movie. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And I grew up just wanting to make movies. I didn't understand that. Um, I also grew up wanting to join the military because I grew up in a military family. So that influence was very heavy. Uh, my dad was very adamant to not let me join the military. Um, then, uh, I remember on a test at school, they asked me in case you don't go to the military, what would you want to do? And I had to think about it and I just gravitated towards filmmaking and I was like, a director <laughs> like any any kid who wants to make movies right um i i'm like i want to say in the spring of 28 no not 2018 in 2008 uh me and my best friend went to the marine recruiting office Uh, And I was about to sign my name and join the Marines. Um, And my phone rang. And everyone knew that, hey, don't call me unless if it's emergency. So I put the pen down to pick it up to check. And apparently I got accepted with a... uh, 
what is it? What is it called? A, a grant, uh, a scholarship to Art Institute Fort Lauderdale. But I have to go in the summer rather than the fall, which means I wouldn't be able to go to boot camp. Mm. And uh, then I just apologized to the recruiter because I was like, I guess this is happening. And I get, <laughs> step out of the office and my best friend's like, we're going to boot camp together because he's already signed up. <laughs> it was a long drive home together. <laughs> Oh my god, <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> and so I, I, I leaned into that. I started learning what filmmaking was. And I was trying to figure out what I wanted out of filmmaking. And it kind of just started with what is filmmaking, right? What are the jobs that go into it? Um, and it's kind of the analytic side of my brain is it's easier for me to learn things if I tear it apart and put it back together, right? Um, and so a lot of my years in film school from Florida to New York City to Los Angeles was learning what makes movies, right? Um, I would say I succeeded at learning all the aspects of what makes a movie, what makes movies well and good. But then when I joined Corridor Digital, it was a little bit of a flip on the head because you're not making a movie for a studio. You're not making a movie for somebody who can fund the movie. Now you're making movies directly for the people watching them. And if you're not, if, if they don't want to watch it, they're not going to watch it. They, it's, it's not, it's so much more direct of a conversation and you have to change your thinking of like, I'm making my movie. No, 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 no. Now you're making their entertainment. Um, it's a hard lesson to learn because <laughs> that's something that film schools do not teach you. It's, there is a, a little bit of a, like, a step like before YouTube, like mm -hmm. you, when you do that and then you transition from that to YouTube, you got it all figured out because it's the same on YouTube. YouTube, you create videos for other people to watch. Um, and yeah, that's awesome. Um, so what, what exactly did you do in Quarter Digital? Like, w were you a filmmaker there or? Yeah, so at Corridor, I was, I started as the the janitor. Um, okay. I, I was mopping floors, packing t-shirts. I was an assistant to the producer. And uh, mostly because the team didn't think they needed to hire me, but one person was like, I, he, He's a hustler. Let's get him in. <laughs> um, and then I, I made a cartoon logo intro for their old behind the scenes out of a, a, a JPEG. And they saw a different form of talent for me. And then they were like, hey, do you want to try doing some of the behind the scenes stuff? I was like, yeah. And I started making them. I would argue my goal was to make them better than they were. And uh, 
then it quickly became, hey, you need to make these in less than a day because that's all we can afford. I was like, got it. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, then roughly around the same time Casey Neistat started doing his vlog, the question was, should we start a vlog that represents the company rather than an individual person? Uh, It's a hard question. Yeah. And so we tried it. And I just started rolling everything. Uh, Most of my life, I did not grow up with a camera. I didn't own a camera until after I left Corridor. Um, I didn't even own a camera when I started Fables. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) Uh, I've been fortunate enough that I've always had access to a camera by someone else because I'm being hired to be a cameraman, being an editor, whatever the job is. And I started experiencing that early filmmaker, like work with a camera experience that prior to that, it was always theoretical. It was studying, learning shots, learning story, uh, working on set, moving grips, managing, collaborating, learning not how not to collaborate, learning how not to manage. <laughs> and um, yeah, I, I became a filmmaker because it started with cap- document the events that are happening and then over the first year learn how to craft what I'm documenting into story and then craft story from that and then grow the intention of build creating a story before you shoot. So would you say that for a filmmaker, it's important to have the story figured out before you actually go into the work that is involved in filmmaking? Yeah, it you whether it is a big movie, a short film, a D&D campaign, uh a DM. It's a great example. You want to know the adventure you want to run, the story you want to share. It can change, especially if you're very fluid with the events that happen along the way. Uh if you're a documentarian, going with the best story that's happening, right? Um, As a filmmaker shooting a movie, maybe the dialogue's not right. Maybe the actors improv something that's great. Um, Vlogging is, you know, it's literally just go with the flow every day. Uh, And then DMing, same thing. You have an adventure in mind, but you don't want to derail your players or railroad your players you want them to derail you (laughs) okay (laughs) um wow that's cool so uh in terms of like going from that background of filmmaking and uh doing the, the the vlog series uh uh for your literal day job um walk me through the kind of mindset that leads you to start fables with your friends it started with um i 
forget what I was doing at the desk. I think I stopped editing for like a half hour because I was just brain dead <laughs> sitting at the desk. Um, and I got recommended on YouTube Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, but not the game. Someone made a highlight and animated it. Okay. And then that caused a rabbit hole. And then uh, my friends at Corridor played D&D. And so I was starting to come into Dungeons and Dragons. Started playing with different friends. Uh, my friend Jarrett, he brought me on to a home game and we played that for five-ish years. Um, and I fell in love with it in the same way when I was a teenager and I got my first job at the Renaissance Fair. And it it was something that my dad brings me to every year. And then I got a job there and it was just like, I got to live and breathe this, this little part of my heart that just makes me happy. And it was connected to fantasy. It was connected to games. It was connected to uh, friendship and family. And uh, I was like, Whatever this feeling is, I don't know if it's a hyper focus or if it's an actual passion that's coming back to life from childhood. Uh, I assumed it was the latter and I dove in and I wanted to protect it and grow it as much as I could. Um, at the time, I didn't ever DM so I asked my friends if they wanted to DM and because I knew filmmaking and the camera equipment, I could run all the gear. So it's like Fables of Refuge, the first 11 episodes before lockdown. Um, I'm there. I'm just operating all the microphones, all the cameras, set building, running the whole thing, making sure nothing breaks. Wow. And... Jarrett and I were wanting me to be in front of camera because a lot of the the floodgates of the reason why the channel got so many subscribers up front was because I was coming from Corridor. Mm. And uh, the fact that I wasn't there right away hurt the channel up front, but it couldn't happen because I was doing all the tech work. So we wanted me to get as soon as possible in front of the camera, but we were worried that we couldn't just leave the equipment running on its own. And so after a while, when episode after episode, we learned that like, oh, if if it's set up correctly, uh, we can just roll with it. And then if something bad happens, we can just pause the game, double check stuff, come back to the game, which is how we kind of approached it from there on. Um, then... Let's see. I think I answered the question and I was starting to go into a bigger story. <laughs> hey. <laughs> I love stories. <laughs> um, okay. So from there, you kind of, you have that thing you wanted to protect. Uh, yes. Which is... Uh, your love for story and and uh, your love for uh, D and D, 
the new love for D and D. Um, what happens when you start Fables D twenty with your friends? Like, is it like? Uh, uh, I mean, you you already like shared a bit about like what you did at the beginning with the cameras and and you appearing uh, uh, in the episodes. But um, walk me through like the early days as as a whole, like. What are some kind of struggles that you faced or uh, maybe things that helped you push forward and keep this rolling? I think the, one of the biggest struggles is equipment and going headfirst into a video-based D&D channel versus an audio-based channel. Um, video just demands a lot more. Um, when we started the channel, the only piece of equipment I owned was the hard drive, a four terabyte hard drive. My computer wasn't working. Uh, I had to borrow a laptop from my work. And for the equipment, I had to take a ride share across town to Burbank, so about 12 miles, pick up all the gear, put it into a ride share, drive back to my home, which I live in a single studio. I have a, uh, a Murphy bed so I can put up my bed and that's where we would play. And set the whole thing up, it took four hours to set up with folding tables, put up all the lights, put up the cameras. And then we play for four hours and then I had to tear it down just to go to bed. Wow. Um, and then the next day I'd have to do another ride share, bring all the equipment back, drop it off, take a ride share home. And then the footage, it's so much footage. I'm so thankful for modern computers just in the last few years. Uh, I was editing at maybe like five frames per second. That's so there wasn't time. a lot of editing happening. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I'm just going to go picture in picture like critical role. <laughs> well, you got a lot of thumbnail potential. <laughs> uh, and that's where it started. And it took more than a month to get one video done. Wow. Uh, so the first season of Fables of Refuge is 11 episodes. So that was a year. And <laughs> then when we got back from lockdown, I had a beefier computer and I was able to get it done, get an episode done in half a month. And then it slowly became a week. And now, technically, an episode can get done in a half a week, maybe a little bit less. But I take a week, week and a half to do it now. So that way I can put the extra sound effects, the extra music, double check the editing, do a QC pass, <laughs> yeah. make sure that it looks and sounds good on the TV. Um, so just the, the struggles of not having the means to create it even though you have the resources to do so and the exhaustion 
and work that has to go into starting something, taking something from idea to existence, that is the hardest thing. Now I live in a, a one bedroom and I just have it all mounted to the ceilings and walls at all times and ha- taking up half my living room. <laughs> I got to ask you, how do you keep your motivation? Like, how how do you, for lack of a better term, how do you not give up when uh, you have this thing and uh, you recorded four hours uh, of gameplay with your friends and you now know that you wouldn't be able to get it out into the world in a month. Like, isn't that like so gut-wrenching knowing that you need to wait so long for for that thing to, to get out into the world? So what that, made you keep your motivation to do that? That on top of negative comments which everyone online experiences that plus um low number of views um it's very demotivating um but it part of it was that thing that i learned at corridor is the audience right Once you start telling a story, you want to do your best to finish it. You might not be able to, but you want to do your best. And then people started supporting on Patreon, and I didn't want to waste their money. Um, So it's a little bit of like that good kind of shame that you sprinkle on your shoulder to just keep you going. Um... And then, like, I was burnt out from doing vlogs every other day <laughs> for years. So when I started doing the, like, the talking D&D advice videos, I was super demotivated doing that because I was like, those are getting more views and more attention than the big thing that I'm working on. And I don't feel qualified to talk about D&D. Like, I just started. Every, like... There are people who've been playing it for 30 years. <laughs> that's that's as old as I am. <laughs> um, and at, at a certain point, it was just, I want to make this. I enjoy making this. It's hard. But things that you want are typically hard. Um... So I'll just keep trying. I have the means, I have the resources, I have the friends. Um, and the 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 new wave of like talking videos that I'm working on this year, the motivation is very much like I don't I don't care if I don't feel qualified, right? Here's an aspect of the game that I think people are wanting more information on whether it's from me whether it's uh, a good idea that i've heard that i want to share and repeat because that's what you should do with good ideas um whether it's me reading a book and realizing this is something that people need to hear i don't care if somebody's already talked about it i'm talking about it 
um, because I started thinking from, you need to settle down. <laughs> uh, I started thinking about when I watch videos and I learn, I often are, am learning something that someone else learned along their way, but I didn't learn it from their source. I'm learning it from them. So as long as I'm sharing my passion, working hard, and just have patience, what I want to be doing with this channel will happen. It might happen after I'm gone. <laughs> oh, come on. It, it, it might happen. It might happen tomorrow, tonight. That, that as long as I'm able to do it, that's what motivates me and keeps me going. And then everyone who is supporting me along the way is just more fuel in the gas tank to go to 90 miles an hour and keep going. Okay. So in terms of like uh, growth, uh, Fable D20 today has mm -hmm. about 58,000 subscribers. Um, yes. How was it to grow to that number? It is unlike any other YouTube channel ever. Uh, because when we started the channel, when we clicked, it exists button. Um, it exists. <laughs> Love that. It got 60, pushing 70,000 subscribers in the first month. Oh, wow. Okay. I remember like two months after it started, I got an email from uh, Dimension 20 asking if I could come on and get an interview. But then the layoffs happened and then that couldn't happen. Uh, oh, they wanted you on Adventuring Academy? Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but we hadn't released a single episode yet. It was just the the explosive, like, it just became a thing, right? And then it, it just had to start settle, settling the storm of like, oh, this is what the channel is, right? From a creator who has no cameras... <laughs> <laughs> no equipment uh editing it, it might as well have been a one subscriber channel but with sixty thousand people waiting for something great to happen right um and then it it was pretty steady and we were the growth, I would say, was a little bit of, oh, this isn't what I was expecting from Carmichael from Corridor. And then there was it finding its own on audience, right? So it was a balance of losing people for fair reasons and then gaining people for fair reasons. Then a couple years ago, at this point, it's now a couple years, um, 2022 right around Halloween 
the channel got hacked. Oh no. And we were streaming some Kanye West crypto stream. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and, there, there, there are channels that do that now, like get hacked and do that with Elon Musk now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right before that, I had went to Scotland with my dad and we were talking about how the numbers for the channel are growing. Like we're about to enter four digits uh, of income per month. I'll be able to uh, give thanks to my friends who've helped the channel, be able to uh, actually like start talking about reasonable pay, maybe hire an editor or something like that, right? So like growth was about to happen, not just numbers. And then they got hacked. Um, the the years it took to get to that point was lost in hours. Um, and so the, now the channel hit 58,000 subscribers. Um, and for the last year, the channel has been in a negative subscriber number consistently because of that. And recently with uh, Curse of Amity Island, the the new talking videos of D&D tips, finally, we, we finally climbed out and we're in the positive subscriber number. That's what I recognize as a success. <laughs> and that no, was yeah. more demotivating, disheartening than the like take a month to make a video to get negative comments and then low numbers right like the the back end of your channel is suffering because someone snuck in and interfered with your growth that that's so like heartbreaking because not only uh we talked earlier about how demotiv- demotivating it, it is to take a month to create an episode. You also had stress because 70,000 people were waiting for those episodes to come out. And then you also got hacked. Uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so now like two years after you're you're saying that uh fables d20 is now in a in an in, upward... a, in the green it's positive yeah in the greens okay <laughs> awesome uh that's amazing uh also you mentioned uh dimension 20 before mm-hmm. and that like pops up a question because you you probably know uh, i interviewed brennan uh multiple times um, i do i have loved your interviews with brennan because your questions get the best things out of him, out of Abria, out of every one of your guests. It is just stories and knowledge that you are able to pull from amazing, talented people. Which I means which means you're just as talented and amazing, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so uh, what I wanted to ask... Uh, because you mentioned Dimension 20, uh, I'm thinking about 
like what are your inspirations uh, when you got into D&D and you said you you mentioned this uh, that you dove in uh, mm-hmm. like what are the things that you watched the things I watched were acquisitions incorporated yeah um, critical role then there was another one, but I can't remember their name and it Nedpod? hurts me. Which one? Nadpod? I Not have an- yet I have yet to listen to Nadpod. Okay. Uh my friends keep yelling at me about that. And the comments <laughs> on this video will yell at you as well. <laughs> um <laughs> then <laughs> Uh, in 20, I started watching that and signed up to drop out to watch even more because it was, you know, going from Acquisitions Incorporated to Critical Role, Dimension 20 is a f- completely new take, right? Um, and I think from there on, it was just watching all of it all at the same time because from the perspective of a new creator a startup creator you're watching what essentially are your peers the the people who are the 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 leaders in your genre in your community and you're trying to understand what you should do based off what they're doing which I would say is like any artist, you look at uh, the best, you take everything you can and what sticks to you becomes yours and evolves with you and you evolve it. I love that you say that. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm cutting you off. Oh no, Uh, go ahead. uh, you, you You say that, but I had another guest on this podcast who said the opposite. Uh, where it's like you see what they're doing, and right. now I'm going to do my thing. I'm going. To, I'm going to uh, uh, like do the thing that they're not doing. Right. Uh, so like, it, it's I, I love the uh, what's the word in English I'm looking for dichotomy maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it, there there is a different approach to everything, and I feel like they're all different shades or different colors of the same road of creativity that we're all taking um or at least different perspectives of the same idea um because at a a certain point for me at least it was okay this is what critical role is doing i can't do that so i have to find my own way Dimension 20 is doing this. I can't do that. I have to find my own way. How do I, in my own path, accomplish and am able to achieve the things that I like the most from my inspirations, Um, which is maybe 10% of what they are, maybe 1%. Um, And then that path of doing your own thing leads to being able to do the thing that you were inspired by, but now it's yours. It's its its own thing. 
Um, yeah. And then you do that, I want to say, hundreds of times. And in no way the hundredth one is the same as the first one, let alone the same as the, the inspiration it started with. Um, yeah. yeah, that... I, I think at a certain point, one of my thoughts were they the bigger actual plays on the internet are just going to do what they want to do there there is no point in trying to do what they're doing uh, but in the perspective of rather than what do i want to create the perspective of what do people want to watch what are people interested in or what are my friends interested in playing yeah um that changed the direction of the channel because it was like okay okay and now we're going to orbit and rather than going to the moon like everybody we're going to venus <laughs> we we talked a, a bit like on uh what the players want to do what you want to do what people want to watch and that like brings me into um the next question which is about ideation uh mm. the the channel has like uh curse of amity island for example uh is a very interesting setting uh it is a campaign that happens uh in a in a world or 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 the campaign itself is inspired by shark am i correct uh, yeah shark? jaws jaws uh yeah i'm like i'm it's thinking it's all good yeah jaws um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so how do you come up with an idea for a D&D campaign in Jaws? Like what, what's the, what's the process? Okay. So first I have a very rough fantasy world in mind, right? I know the that kind of genre setting that I want to play in because we're playing in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, everyone around the table wants to play in fantasy. Okay, so that's what we're going to stick with. Uh, I have created my own fantasy world, Aida, and I was like, okay, one of the inspirations and things I noticed from viewers is looking at Critical Role in Dimension 20. One of the things people love about fantasy shows, uh, fantasy stories, is to get to not just know the characters, but to get to know the world. Like, think of Game of Thrones. Uh, after we get to know the characters, we really start to chew our teeth into the lore of the world and the fantasy of the world. And I, as the DM can't do really that much about characters. <laughs> That's not my department. Um, you are everyone else. I'm everyone else. Uh, <laughs> I am everything and nothing all at once. <laughs> and, um, so I was like, okay, so the whole fantasy world and uh, the serial experience of that is what people enjoy. But a long-form D&D campaign takes years. Um, 
And we had just did that with Refuge. And I wanted to try to do something different. And I was really inspired by Dimension 20's approach to anthology storytelling. It, it brought me to thinking about heroic fantasy like uh, the Conan books. And the thing that I love, like the individual thing I love about the Conan books is that you can enjoy them linearly or out of order in the order that it's released. So I was like, okay, what if we take the single world building aspect and then just do anthology stories in it? And then one game, one off-camera game I played, <laughs> this sent me down a rabbit hole, is uh, we walk up to, in this rain in the forest, and we walk up to this destroyed, ruined watchtower. And one of my players goes, uh, how old is it? Um. <laughs> um, I didn't. I didn't feel like I had the good enough answers. So I went home that night and I thought of world building in a timeline. And then I stopped enjoying D&D's, official D&D's, like different realms. Like in this realm is the giants. In this realm is the, where the dragons are from. And I was just like, what if they're all from different timelines in one world? It's all one place and different time periods have different stories, different eras, uh, different themes. Um, and right there, I was like, oh, the idea of building a, uh, a show around a world that has that kind of storytelling is now interesting. But now, <laughs> while I do that in the back of my brain, how do I prepare adventures? <laughs> Um, and I just, I remember watching movies and being like, man, that'd be a good D and D adventure. That'd be a good one. And then one day I was just like, Jaws would be a good D and D adventure. Yeah, let's do that. I could put Jaws in there. I can base all the adventures off different movies because, uh, on D, uh, D and D on Fables D20, too many D's, uh, <laughs> On Fable C20, I ran the Alien RPG from Free League. I plan to watch it. It is the first time I DM'd on the channel. And I went full party DJ mode with sound effects in person, light changing. Um, and then I went the extra mile with sound effects for the first time in post-production because my computer could handle it. Went a little overboard, but it worked. <laughs> <laughs> and I remembered how easy it was to go to any friend group I had, anyone, and be like, hey, do you want to play D&D but Alien? The pitch was sold instantly. And so when I went to my other friends, the uh, Chris, Jordy, Taco, Ali, and I was like, "Do you want to play D and D but Jaws?" Wow, that's so good. 
I loved it. And it worked. And I was like, okay, this is this is a path forward that I'm sticking to for a while. <laughs> and when it started, it's hilarious. It started it was like, it'd be a good one shot. We fight a shark on a boat. Yeah. But then I was like, what it but that the fun of Jaws is getting to the shark. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm expanding it and making what was supposed to be a two to three session game into an eight session game. <laughs> um, and then it started like, how do I motivate this adventure in the world? We have to be on an island. We have to be on boats. We can't be sailing across the seas. Um, and where, where in the sea is this happening, right? And it just started being like, oh, in this corner of the world, this is the heroic adventure that's happening. And then that led to opening doors of lore in my mind that built this, built that, built this. And that, that leads to more uh, trees and thoughts. <clears throat> and then like, this weekend, we're having session zero for the next adventure, Dante's Peak. Uh, um, and then after that, it's a knight's tale. And um, it's not just help, like, it's crazy. It, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> it's kind of crazy how it's really the most simple form of creativity where you take a single inspiration and you literally transform it into the thing that you want to make. And it's the most amount of work is now just the game design, not the idea. Because the the idea of Jaws, oh, we're going to fight a shark. What else is there? Well, we'll figure that out while we play. Well, here's some lore bits that might lead to that. But now I just have to game design uh, the adventure versus worry about building the idea, then game designing the adventure. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Uh, there's uh, there's also uh, the aspect of the world that you're you're doing all of these adventures in, Erda if I'm saying it correctly. Uh, Erda, Erda, hey, you know what? People say different things differently. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like I'm, I'm curious about uh, the entire aspect of uh, having one world where all of your campaigns are happening in. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like there's so much potential for uh, like... Uh, how do you call it? Um, uh, cameos and uh, crossovers and and like all of these things, are those things that uh, you like? You plan forward for or like things that you take into account when planning campaigns? Now I do, because the first one with Jaws and Curse of Amity Island, not really, because it's like first time. Here we go. Um, we shot a one shot uh, that takes place a hundred years before Curse of Amity Island. That's uh, 
to the far north and learning about giants and orcs. <clears throat> uh, we, we had Dale Kingsmill guest on that. And then we had a, another one shot, which is maybe 50 or so years before that, where we are helping the father of a character from Curse of Amity Island get home just to see that character be born. Oh, that's awful. And the and uh Chris who plays Halleck the Red Dwarf in Curse of Amity Island, that was his dad we had to protect along the road. And we kept making good jokes like, I got you, Dad. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> but it was the the stakes of the adventure on a for an audience sense is Will we learn an aspect of Halig that he grew up with or without a dad? Um, and then Dante's Peak is 800 years before Curse of Amity Island. Uh, and it established it. And what I like about this, if you're watching it in order of release, you're learning more about the world that's happening behind that first adventure. Yeah. Um, and it was just an interesting experience when I started putting the pieces together. It's kind of like the Conan books. It's like I could watch this in the order of release and have a specific experience. Or when a bunch of it's out and I watch it linearly, I'll have its own experience. Like uh, someone would could argue that maybe watching it timeline-wise... Uh, is something that would be uh, more like educating about the world and and the events. Like when you go into a campaign, knowing this things already happened in the world. Uh, right. I don't like like maybe I learned something about them uh, uh, during this campaign. Exactly, um, and one of the, the like the weird things is I don't want to decanon something that we've already done. So moving backwards in time, it's always interesting now because it's like, so those were the choices made by the players in that adventure. Therefore, anything that came before that would have to lead to this in, a, in one or a few logical like ways. Um, and so just by playing... Curse of Amity Island, it my players' choices and character builds and faction builds, because I have my players essentially help build the factions that their characters are related to, create NPCs that matter in the adventure. And all that leads to more open branches that have to connect the further back we go. Because I find going backwards not all the time, but just going backwards is hyper interesting. It's like that that history, historical like fiction experience. Whereas Critical Role, for example, the world building is all forward, right? Um, except calamity. Just, except <laughs> for calamity, <laughs> which has that that feeling of like rewind and we get to see more of the world in the background that's that is floating in the minds of the people playing the game yeah 
it's just oh my gosh so much fun and so fascinating um okay i just so, wish i could get more episodes out faster <laughs> <laughs> you'll get there you'll get there i'll get there okay. uh i do want to ask you uh, I, I have some fan questions for you, but before we okay. get to the fan questions, there is one burning question uh, uh, in me. How do you make the videos look so good? <laughs> Which ones? <laughs> <laughs> like, Curse of Amity Island looks like something I would buy in a in a movie, uh, like I don't know, like Amazon Prime. Netflix or whatever. It looks so, so good. How do you make it happen? <laughs> uh, thank you so much. Um, like, I, I, I'll, I, I'll say like... I'm going to save that, you saying that in my brain for a long time. Thank you so much. Um, it, it's, it's the reality for me. Like, what I'm talking about is not like... It's not just the fact that you have like a lot of angles, like in terms of cameras and and like the transitions and and all that, but there's also something about the way of the video that looks so professional. I guess that's the 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 right word. Uh, like, how how do you make it happen? <laughs> uh... Uh, it comes, I, I, it comes down to for the, at least the look, shot by shot. It's the lighting, the the camera angle. It's also making sure that the sound is good because uh, the first lesson I really had about the video doesn't matter was a long time ago. Philip Bloom, uh, a cinematographer from the UK, he for a challenge had to make a short film using a camera in a Barbie doll. Um, wow. It was garbage visually. <laughs> uh, <but laughs> he put so much work into the sound design that you enjoyed it. Um, so I put a lot of work in making sure that it sounds good, that the sound effects and the music, though I'm not, you know, having something custom composed so it's like super unique. It, it should just evoke the right feeling. Um, so from lighting, the camera angle, uh, the sound, and then the presentation. I, I try to make sure that like the opening logo and stuff all feel a little bit higher quality than <laughs> it higher quality than it could if I don't put effort into it. And I just want it to look like something that's not distracting and something you can enjoy. Okay. And I just, I, I guess I just work really hard to make that happen. Okay. Listen, if you ever create a course, a digital course <laughs> about how you do this, I would instantly buy it, okay? <laughs> like, full stop. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of, I, I guess my brain is like blown away that y you're so complimentary of it because 
to my brain, I see just the tweaks that need to be made. It's not good enough here. It's not good there. You know, the later episodes of Curse of Amity Island, middle of the campaign, we move to a new apartment. And I don't have a backdrop in the later episodes. So you see all my garbage <laughs> behind me <laughs> from, <the laughs> from moving boxes, kitty litters, <laughs> an AC unit. It's all there. Um, and it's, I see the little mistakes. And um, one of the things, I guess, I, I this is proof to me trusting that my intuition of quality is subjective. In, in a world where I'm not making a movie for a studio, I'm making a movie for you. What you find is good quality and you think I'm doing that, even though I think I could do better, I did it. I think that's also like, uh, in terms of like every creator uh, has like that own self-critic. Uh, right. If I go back and look at uh, pieces that I wrote, articles that I wrote uh, two years ago, I would always say, oh, I could have rewritten that sentence a little bit differently. I could have done that. Oh, here I forgot to remove that, that. Uh, like all of all of those little things that you can do, you all always notice that. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I can say, for example, I recently joined a cohort of uh, online writing, and uh, I shared with uh, some people from the group uh, uh, one of my newsletter articles, and I was blown away when he said, "I love your writing," and I'm like. I, I just write uh, like it, 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 and like you, I could also find things in my writing when I look at it that I could have done better. Uh, but I think it's it's always like uh, every creator has that little self-doubt. And I think it's good that you always have uh, uh, room for improvement because uh, if you stop feeling that, that means you're not growing anymore. Right. Um, and what's what's sometimes scary, because I feel this and with the little critique part of my brain, is creativity comes in different shades and different sizes. Right? Um, and, it, and it flourishes in different ways. So it's like, a great example is the talking D&D advice videos. There are dozens of them, hundreds, thousands of them. But some, like, let's say there's a hundred of them talking about how to make D&D combat faster. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> um, if I make one and I'm, one of the things I'm going to do is look at the market and look at what other people have talked about, I might mention the same things and that might feel less creative. That might feel like I'm just taking, right? But I gotta, in the, uh, I guess in the words of Ed Sheeran, you gotta just pump out the bad songs before you get to the good songs that are deep in you. And, to, and in the process of making videos like D&D advice videos, it doesn't matter if someone else has done 
or talked about what you're doing or talking about. You just do it so you can get to the your core, your your creative soul because you've gotten all everything out of the way, all the distractions until you're now in the void and going, now what do I create? And you're and you will answer that. I love that. That's a great note to uh, uh, transition us into uh, the fan questions. Uh, fan so, questions. Fan questions. Uh, ah. you know, let's do something fun. I used to do this with Brennan uh, before okay. before I got to fan questions. Um, you said that the uh, the next. Um, the next campaign you're releasing is Dante's Peak, right? Yes. Or the next one I'm shooting. The next release will be Mines of Colossus, which is kind of a national treasure in the winter. And then The Haunting of Ruby Minis Inn, which is... It sounds like I'm just marketing my own stuff. I'm sorry, but I'm just listing it Oh, off. don't worry. You will. Uh, At the end, you will. <laughs> uh, which is very much like The Haunted Mansion, Scooby-Doo kind of vibes um and then dante's peak which is a very much uh if you've seen dante's peak okay so <laughs> i have a d20 here oh boy uh, would you reveal anything uh on one of the future uh maybe shot maybe maybe not shot uh okay. uh any of the future content that wasn't released yet on a roll of the D20? Yes. Okay. Uh, I could roll a one, but I could also roll a 20. Right. <laughs> and it happened once with uh, with Brennan, I think. Uh, so let's see what, what's, what the roll, what the let's dice what has is. in store for you. Okay, it's it's a nine. A nine. Yeah, a nine. So, uh, yeah. What's what, the modifier? What, what do you have to say about <laughs> a nine? <laughs> um, for a nine, I will say Curse of Amity Island takes place in the second dawn uh, where the full elves don't exist anymore. Uh, in the first dawn is where Dante's Peak and A Knight's Tale take place, which are actually happening at the same time. Mm. Um, and before the first dawn, there was no sun, just a moon. Well, in fact, there were eight moons. And before them, it was just stars on the earth. Okay. And in Dante's Peak... Uh, we may not learn a lot about the moons, but we may learn a lot about the sun and the villains that are in, that are repeating through time and space on the world. Okay. I love that there's for a uh, nine. That's what you get. Yeah, if only I, I you got a twenty. Like a lot of <laughs> a lot of celestial bodies information in this answer. Um, okay, 
So now we can do fan questions. Fan uh, questions. <laughs> uh, the first question comes to us from Sam Kent. And the question is, what is your mental process like for preparing and producing content on a one-man army schedule, even if you are not entirely alone? I am just about to launch my own channel, and the shift where I am doing pretty much every job imaginable is a challenge. We kind of talked yeah. about this earlier, but if you want to say anything more. Uh, I, I would... Um, one of the advantages I have is my film school education about what are the jobs needed to make a movie. Um, and I would say breaking down the work as if they were different departments and tackling those departments one task at a time. So setting up to play D&D, right? We need the table. Okay, I'm going to focus on just setting up the table. Great. Then set up the cameras. Great. Then set up the lighting. Set up the sound. Make small tweaks as if like not just everything all at once, but I would go back to the table, tweak the table, then tweak the camera, tweak the lighting, tweak the sound. Um, yeah. And just one thing at a time, like a checkbox, um, just like you would make a list of chores to do around the house. Do one thing at a time that makes sense. If you need to clean the kitchen, where do you start in the kitchen? Where do you end? Because what makes the most sense? And it doesn't change the amount of work you have to do, uh, but it gets your brain to wrap around it and you build a habit of the workflow, the, the production itself. And then you're able to answer the almighty question, hey, how long is this going to take? <laughs> 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 it's like I love the the metaphor you gave as well because like imagine uh, uh, going into the kitchen and washing the dishes that are already in the sink and then turning uh, turning away from the, from it and seeing oh there are more dishes on the table <laughs> <laughs> you're like no <laughs> <laughs> or the, or then. Or that uh, you you do that you go to the living room after you finish the kitchen and there are more plates and cups. Yeah. <laughs> You're like ah. Always put all the dishes in the sink before you start washing them. <laughs> um, and then and then you learn. Hey, when I cook before I eat, I'm gonna wash the dishes, and then I'm gonna go eat. <laughs> Uh, that's that's so good. I love that. Oh, um, man. Okay, the next question <laughs> is from Seth. And the question is, what drives you to keep making videos with the limited audience you have? I mean, I wouldn't consider 58,000 people limited audience, but maybe I, this person is... I don't is, uh, see... I don't see the 58,000 as my audience. I see that as this number that is associated to validation in a entertainment industry. I see the audience 
as the uh, the returning viewers and the new viewers who dive deep into commenting because I've I've passionately triggered them to say something. You know, if I think about when I go to a video or a tweet and I am emotionally triggered and I want to respond, I often delete my response before posting it. Uh, but to get it out is its own exercise. Um, that piece of media impacted me so much, I wanted to say something back. Um, and when I see my work, my voice, my interpretation of an idea do that to somebody else, oh, that that's intoxicating of like, imagine a world where you say something in a room of a hundred people and everyone looks at you, doesn't say a thing, and then looks away. That's getting zero views, zero comments. That's how that feels. Yeah. Um, when one person, 10 people, a hundred, turn, give you a thumbs up, nod, uh, actually say something that has nothing to do with what you said, but you you triggered something in them that reminded them of this thing, and they just blah share it because they don't have an outlet to share that in their own life. Oh, yeah. come on in. <laughs> I love that. It, uh. Yeah, it's it's it, I think it's the form of being the entertainer. Like, I want to entertain you. I want to engage with you. Um, I want to create something that is impactful. And what is impact, right? What What is impacting other than getting a response, building a community, having Discord, patrons, you know, uh, subscribers, memberships, like all this stuff. When you build that community and people want what you're offering, even if it's a small number. If it's, a, I know that the the bridge between a small number of a small audience, few hundred people, few people, and thousands of viewers, the bridge between that is gaming the system. Yeah, clickbait, picking the right topic at the right time being in the right place at the right time, right? Is that luck? It's beating the algorithm, as YouTubers like to say. Um, that's the bridge. So it's like, that has very little to do with what um, the people that are actually being engaged with, with my stuff. So that's that's the motivation, is the audience themselves. Okay. Uh, you did mention something that uh, I want to take a, a little detour from from the fan questions for a, a bit. Uh, you mentioned Patreon, and yeah. uh, I also know that your channel has uh, YouTube memberships enabled. Uh, yeah, like take me through uh, what when in your journey it feels right to provide those for your community. Sure. That, that's been a question and a journey in my own mind that 
is struggling. It's like, it's commerce at a certain point, right? So you're wondering, and if you're creatively doubting yourself and critiquing yourself, like, is my product even good enough? Like, am I worth the money you're giving me? Um, I activated Patreon right away on the channel because the hope is to get the channel to a point where it can be self-sustaining. It can entertain thousands of people, right? That's the hope. That's the dream. Um, and I knew because I didn't have any equipment. Well, if people are willing to give me some money, I'll be able to spend that money on equipment. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just have the door open and see what happens. Um, membership was a weird thing. YouTube membership. Because it can be the same thing, right? You can just do membership. You can just do Patreon. I do both. But only in the last half a year has it really like locked in what I'm doing with it. And it takes a conversation with my patrons, conversation with my members. Like, what, it, it, what do you want from this? What's the benefit that you're getting from this? So that way I know how to give you more of what you want. Yeah. Um, and then also think about the numbers and communicate that. Like YouTube members, uh, uh, the creator only gets 70% of the support. Patreon, you get 90%. Uh, if I'm supporting somebody, I would like to know that because then I know my $1, they're only seeing 70 cents, not 90 cents. 20 cents is a lot to somebody. Yeah. Um, and so recently the conversation was because I live stream pretty much weekly uh, while I do painting and crafting, um, my members enjoy membership in a way to support me, but also benefit from having a banner next to their name like this is how long i've been supporting or we just want the sticker we just want stickers and emojis yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um it's like cool that if that's what you're really getting out of this then that's going to be the focus and then patreon i'm going to move all the exclusive content like extended cuts from the adventures i'll move that all over to patreon so Patreon is where you can support the channel and get more media, more things to watch. Whereas supporting on YouTube channel is just supporting the stream, um, being able to show people that you are a supporter by putting in the comments or just having your name pop up at the top of the channel. Um, yeah. Finding that balance of like, who gets what was a really hard thing up front because I didn't feel like I was making enough exclusive stuff. Um, and then you're always like, oh, now I got to make it an exclusive thing just for them. And now you're making two things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a commitment. Right. And once I was able to actually edit the D&D shows, you know, Fables of Refuge is fairly uncut. But once we went to 
Curse of Amity Island, it was like, let's edit this down, cut out all the lore dumping that I'll just stop and talk about, uh, cut out as many of the unnecessary dice rolls that don't add a meaningful choice, at least to the eyes of a viewer, right? Um, yeah, but some people love that. Some people, some some people, people love that. Yeah. So give them the uncut on Patreon. Yeah. And since we record music, in, uh, mostly music, in some ambient live with a little Bluetooth speaker on the ceiling um, and recording it in OBS, the uncut for the most part, unless I mess up by pushing the wrong button, like <laughs> like session four of Curse of Amity Island, you as an uncut, you have some sound design playing in the background, um, which is great. So it's like, oh, it's not just footage. It, there is an experience to be had. Whereas like the work to make something more commercial, more digestible goes public. Um, because that was something that I thought was interesting is Ali can't digest Critical Role, not even Dimension 20. It's just, it's too long form of content. There's not enough changes. There's not enough changes. ADHD needs to be activated. Um, needs to be satisfied. For um, critical role, it, it's it's the same for me. I can't watch like I I did watch uh, Calamity, but it was a pain to to like sit through those episodes for so long, and also just for the golden nugget moments. Yeah, and also critical role is like it's 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 become too long to catch up. For me, at least. Yeah. <laughs> it, that is a, a feeling, which anthology stories help alleviate. Yeah. Um, so once I was able to turn the thing I was doing and have two products come out of it, one for backers, one for the thing that I want to put public, and I chose the edited version to go public versus the uncut, is because I don't see enough of that out there. Uh, you know, actual plays as a genre and a market is getting saturated, but because it's actually hard to make it polished, you know, Dimension 20 does what they can do because they have a team. Yeah. Most people out there are just recording with their friends and just doing what they can. It was like, push it as far as it can go and then if you want more of it you want to see what didn't make it go support on patreon that's um, what that's that's like what why i told you this before we started recording uh i told you that i felt uh uh fables d20 is like not the typical uh D stream uh that you find like i i've seen a lot of D streams over the past couple of years, and all of them are just live. Uh, this, right. This is a, 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 like I would say a step up, but it's not. It's not just one step up. It's it's a lot of steps up from uh, from from regular D and D streams, and and I love that you uh, take the time to make all of this happen. So, uh, yeah. Kudos to you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, uh, 
Um, and I, and it, you know, I often say when you start something, just start it with what you got and improve on it along the way. Yeah. Um, and in the entertain, right? And in a form of entertainment, I feel like that's even more powerful because it's kind of like a diary. You know, the the very first thing on this channel, <laughs> the first episode of Fables of Refuge, compared to the next episode of Curse of Amity Island, are two very different things. Yes, I agree. Um, okay, so let's continue on with the fan questions. We have uh, four more. Um, so the next four question... more, four more. Uh, the <laughs> next question is from Adam, and the question is: Do you have a recommended campaign for first-time players and first-time DM? I would honestly say Fur Haven. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming campaigns on fables. Uh, Fur Haven was a one shot where Allie DM'd for the first time and she used a module. Um, and she just tried to memorize it and then tried to run the it as best as she can. And everyone around the table have has DM'd before, so we were able to be a good supporter. Um, and yes, and the right way to give her the the comfort to DM. And it's also kids friendly, so uh, you can watch it around your family. Uh, time and time again, a lot of my viewers say if you're just starting out on the channel, they recommend the Alien Adventure. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, and then, honest, honestly, I recommend Curse of Amity Island. <laughs> um, because I I find that there is a lot of rolling with the punches that I'm doing um, because I've only prepared you know chapter checkpoints you know the, the adventure starts we're on a boat we have to get off this boat yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like either either the the ship's going to crash or we make it to port one of the two is going to happen and that can i remember playing it for the first time and i was like oh i've never dm'd on a boat before uh i have to keep talking because the players literally can't do anything <laughs> um so yeah it's i in curse of amity island is also a lot more of my approach for fantastical heroic adventures whereas alien i'm actively focused on um what are the tools and techniques in storytelling that create tension and <laughs> I, in both campaigns my focus is to compete with video games compete with movies right like uh in alien i do a pretty good job at uh, being with as the party splits up, being with this group, and then build up the tension and tell the client, and then we go over here, and then we build it up, and then we come oh. back. <laughs> um, 
and uh, you can. I have yet to be able to do that right since. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Uh, I love the 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 approach, uh, like kind of uh, uh, also like uh, how how you describe your own experiences with each of these uh, with each of these these campaigns. Um, okay. Now we have two questions from Chance Taylor. So uh, we'll start with the first Bill one. Chance. Chance Taylor. Uh, how do you find inspirations, inspiration for layouts for dungeons and battle maps? Okay. Um, There are a few different answers. <laughs> so the first one and the shortest answer is I prefer scatter terrain and the thinking that comes with scatter terrain uh, over locked in set pieces. Uh, so at Corridor, I helped direct a D&D series that's on their website, Son of a Dungeon, and the DM, Sam, was playing with Dwarven Forge. And he would build this huge map. Every session would be a huge locked off thing and we'd have to play on just that map. Um, and something I like to do is, for the most part, just play theater of the mind. And then when like visual references are needed, we go to minis, right? So that's very flexible and I don't have a lot of space or a lot of money, so I, so I need flexible terrain. Uh, part of the reason I make so many rocks out of foam on the live stream <laughs> is I, I, I need a rock over here or I need a big rock, little rock, and I kind of just make a formula. And my thinking is very much uh, video game models. You know, a single video game will reuse a model and just retexture it over and over and over and over. And that's... Hey, if it works for a million dollar budget video game, it'll work for my D&D game. <laughs> yeah, you you're you're so close uh to to touching a, a touchy subject for many gamers around the world. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't uh, get me started on Dragon Age 2. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so I, I I have that approach and then that allows my maps to be more yes and um, and then there's the occasional, I'll make something special because the obvious thing that is, they're going to go here. <laughs> like, I can move the secret room to another spot of the dungeon. Sure. But the boss lair is going to be <laughs> under the world tree. <laughs> you know, that's where we're going. And the room's going to have roots and vines because that's the theme of the adventure. And so I'll make that set piece. Um, then, so there's the, the scattered terrain, reuse, recycle, retexture. There's the, uh, the individual set pieces that I want to make to make this moment, this finale or special place very unique. Um, I'm looking at my minis right now. <laughs> and I would say, <laughs> uh, 
in prepping a location, I would look up first, has someone else done it? And can I use that as my my mental foundation? Mm-hmm. Um, inspiration. Inspiration. Um, I like to use the word foundation <laughs> because if it's just inspiration, I might be still building on mud. <laughs> Depends um, how, how, how high you roll on your inspiration die. This is absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> and if no one has done something similar, I go to kind of a list that I have in my brain. Uh, I have a, the list of the types of terrain that D&D has, right? What are the monsters in those terrain stuff, right? I have another list of the types of dungeons, kind of a very like uh, Elden Ring style. Like we have caves, mines, ruins, to- uh, tombs, catacombs, fortresses. I have that thinking, right? And I have a lot of ideas attached to those words, so when I know we're going through a ruin, going into a cave, entering a catacomb, uh, I have architecture, uh, mineral texture, color ideas floating around just attached to those names. And so it's like, okay, we'll roll initiative. And I'll stand up and go to my wall of minis and go, well, we're in a catacomb. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> what will I pick today? <laughs> I love that. I love that. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, let's go into uh, Chance Taylor's second question. Uh, as a DM or player, do you find it hard to adjust your game to the random choices your players make? I used to. I used to, it was really hard when I first started DMing. It um because I I didn't because when I started DMing and I think it's going to be a a thing that a lot of new DMs experience now more than when bef- it, the 90s, 80s and 70s. Because we are seeing people play D&D on camera and we're just seeing the final product. We're not seeing the thought processes, the approaches. It's why it's so valuable for having uh, talkbacks, conversations, uh, uploading your session zeros and just like showing some of the behind the curtain and talking about the thoughts and homebrews and all that stuff that needs to go into it because everyone improvises differently you know some people can take anything at any time and just be water right some people like myself need tools in place mentally to uh grab onto in a single moment right uh, very much like talking about, oh, I need a list of terrain and a list of types of dungeons saved in my mind so I can access those 
when I need to. Um, and then just playing and learning that what we're doing is having a conversation and the hope is that a story comes out of it. Uh, you know, one of the, the breakthroughs in DMing for me was learning, I don't have to respond right away. I can, by listening to somebody have a conversation on the internet, I learned that in D&D, I could just go, let me think about that for a second. And I could just stop for a second <laughs> and think. I don't, I, I don't have to, even though the edited version of what I make really makes it look like <laughs> yes. I don't need to reload. <laughs> That that's also that's like one of the advantages of uh, doing an edited thing, uh, but also I think uh, if if we're talking about like something that a new DM would think, um, it's like I I remember Abria uh, uh, telling me uh, in our interview like maybe your players will, will, would say something that would make you leave the table like and would be like yeah i need to think about this i need to like i need i need 5 minutes mm -hmm. let's take a break like yeah uh, it would be it would be that kind of thing like yeah let's let's do a, a little break while i research uh what we need to do now or something yeah. like that. It, it's totally acceptable. And I feel like because, and we've heard a little bit about this, just how people talk about the genre, uh, because of shows like Dimension 20 and Critical Role, people have an expectation when coming to the D&D, &D, which is half the goal of those kind of shows. The other, half, the, the downside is, you know, it's like, when you're a kid and you want to be a filmmaker, you don't know what it takes to make movies. You just see the final product and you go, I want to make that. It's very selfish. And then you learn that the process of making movies is many jobs, many collaborations, many compromises, many sacrifices. Uh, and if you're lucky, something good will come out of it. Yeah. Um, and that's a com in we have a very safe friend version of that, which is D and D, right? We're just having a conversation. Where, what's what's the best idea, right? Um, in one one of the adventures, as a great example, is I I turned to Jordy and I said. Hey, before you cast that spell, before you roll, describe to me what it looks like as if you know it's going to be a critical hit. Mm -hmm. Okay. At first, he rejected it. Because his notion, his thinking was the game first, the mechanics first. He's like, I don't want to put that much juice into something that couldn't work out, right? And then later we discussed it. And now he's on the opposite side of the fence. He's always wanting to do that. Because for me as the DM, the receiver of the role, if you lay out what you 
what it's going to be, the critical hit, and you roll a one. Uh, I can yes and off of your idea that you set up versus I have nothing. And I go, you miss. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so as players, I find I've learned that it's like I want to give as much entertainment, as much like juice to everyone else. And then as a DM, I ask that from my players so I can give it in return. Uh, And that helps a lot with the improvising, right? You're making sure ideas are being shared. Uh, And then lastly, I would say, I just watched a video about this and I gotta make a video about it too, is the idea in literature is are you a plotter or a pantser? Have you heard of this? Yes, yes. So, I am a pantser, uh, uh, personally. I am a plotter. <laughs> um, but the idea is that when you prep as a DM, you should prep like you're a plotter. And then as a DM, you should play like you're a pantser. Oh, that's cool. And I was like, that is such another way to say it that will register with so many more people and that idea needs to be shared so much. I love that. Okay. So I hope that helps as a DM. <laughs> I'm gonna write a note about this. This this is a, a good thing. Uh, okay. Now let's go into the final fan question that we have. Uh, uh, the fan question is from Sam. And the question is, what online DIY creator inspires you most? It's interesting because I I feel like there are different generations of YouTubers that I've watched that are very DIY and have inspired me in different ways. And then inspiration is different because it might land differently for something that is unexpected. Um... Like when I was vlogging, a big inspiration was uh, Casey Neistat on how don't be polished. Just grab the camera, get the shot, be in the room, right? Now I would say part of my DIY inspiration are other D&D crafters because I'm crafting so much. And I look for shortcuts in the same way of like articulating an idea differently like plotter and pantser for DMing is a different way of thinking about it I have an idea of like oh I need this but I don't know how to approach it I'm not sure if the way I'm approaching it is the right way or the easiest way I'll look see if someone else has done it too Um, currently my biggest DIY inspiration is I'm going to say his name wrong Martin, I can't remember his last name. Uh, He lives in the Alps and he bought an Italian stone cabin and he's been refurbishing it for the last two years. Um, And the inspiration that I'm getting from it is very much dedication, 
Settle down, house. Dedication. Uh, the hard work. The insufferable conditions. Right? Like, he's working in the middle of the Alps in the winter, chopping away at wood to build a gutter out of a log. Like, dude. <laughs> go 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 to an Airbnb and chill for a day. <laughs> it's cold. Um and the idea of patience, hard work, it when the conditions are not right, when anxiety is hitting you, when physical stress is hitting you. And just getting some work done gets you closer to the thing you want. Um, seeing that, and he uploads weekly, by the way. <laughs> um, seeing that week after week is the type of inspiration that it's just like, if he can do that in those conditions, why can't I do that in the safety of an apartment in a city? Okay. Uh, I also want to say uh, to the people who are watching this, uh, find me that uh, last name of this Martin guy and comment on this video uh, who that is. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat your commenters. <laughs> Martin. Okay. I think that's uh, it. Good luck, commenters. <laughs> I beat you. I win. In the past. <laughs> They're watching this. <laughs> well, Wait, okay. Gavin, Gavin, bleep out me saying it and then see if they can guess it. And at the end, <laughs> reveal awesome. it. Awesome. Awesome. You know what? Yeah. Gavin, <laughs> run with it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we'll hey, good job, commenters. You got it. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, th that's an amazing thing, like, to put at the end of the video, like, after everything. Uh, okay. Um, so these were all the fan questions. Um, yeah. And I have one final question that I always ask every guest on the podcast. Uh, but before I do ask the question, uh, please uh, tell, uh, let everyone who is watching this know where to find you, where to find Fables D20, and uh, where do you want to lead them after watching this interview? Uh, YouTube.com slash Fables D20. We have Curse of Amity Island, which is the first adventure of Fables of Aeda, the, the world that we discussed in this. Um, on the front page of my YouTube channel are playlists of Talking D&D, &D, uh, you may disagree with my ideas. If so, tell me in the comments. Um, Curse of Amity Island. We have links to the Patreon from there. So if you enjoy what you're watching, you can support the channel. There's, like I mentioned earlier, the best short adventure to start off is the alien adventure. Uh, it's four parts. It's terrifying. And it looks pretty good. It's fun. <laughs> It's pretty fun too. Terrifying and fun. Uh, I haven't watched yet, but uh, yeah. <laughs> you will. I know you will. I'll wait for your comment on the fourth part. 
And you'd be like, I made it. You got me on video. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to do it. <laughs> uh, okay. So my final question for you. What's in the future of you and Fables D20? Short term, I am trying to release a talking video about D&D every week. I'm going to be releasing lore podcasts where my friend Chris grills me on the lore of Aida, the stuff that doesn't make it into the game. Uh, like we talk about the creation of the sun. We talk about why dwarves are red. Um, we talk about what's under my ocean uh, and how... Tarka, the city of orcs, was the foundation of socialism in uh, the Mediterranean. <laughs> oh, that's cool. <laughs> um, we talk about some of the adventures that we want to run, like in the near future, we'll be releasing Mines of Colossus, uh, The Haunting of Ruby Minis Inn, Ali has told me I have to shorten the names. Um, <laughs> she's giving me uh, a hard time right now. <laughs> uh, we got Dante's Peak, A Knight's Tale, Dracula. Uh, for patrons, we actually are going to do audio-only exclusive adventures where my friends are DMing. So we'll do like Cthulhu. Chris wants to DM in the Age of Wrath, which is a, a time period in my world where it's basically the movie's Reign of Fire meets Pitch Black. Um, mm. okay. We we want to do Saving Prince Ryan as an adventure. Um, Saving Prince Ryan, wow. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's creativity. Like... <laughs> It's <laughs> um, going to be an exhausting adventure, but I can't wait. Uh, I want to be able to talk about not just homebrews and rules and how to run D&D, because I can talk about that forever, honestly, and just repeat the important points over and over. But then, like, talk about things that I'm learning from, such as like other books, Shadow Dark, which are other different RPGs. Uh, what rules can you learn about game design that make running any game interesting? So it's like really diving deep into the hobby. And then I really just want to play these games with my friends and in return, convert those games into shows for people to watch because that you know harpers back to my passion for filmmaking is we're telling great stories we're having a lot of fun i know people will enjoy this so i might as well record it and put work into it to be entertaining um and even my friends who play at the table you know they they're like it's kind of fun playing with a microphone or with a camera, because now you know somebody's going to watch what you do. There's a little bit of pressure to like not be lazy about your ideas. 
which is exciting to be at that table because now everyone's putting better ideas out <laughs> and just you know ride the ride uh enjoy it hope for it to be successful that in a way that people enjoy it more people find it um it becomes self-sustaining it doesn't have to be a grand profitable thing it's just hey you know it feeds us it, uh, when we want to play and we get plenty of minis so we can have cool games i i think that is from short term to long term you know high resolution to low resolution because i can't predict the future yet um yet <laughs> it, i think that's really the goal and the more honestly the more successful it gets the more i can put into it to make it even better which is kind of a wild idea like you're even saying it you find the show to be really good on a quality level. Um, imagine where else it could go. I think that's really cool and exciting. Find me that uh, last name of this Martin guy and comment on this video uh, who that is. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat your commenters. <laughs> Martin with a J, last name Dulard. 